0: Good morning, morning. it's good to see you, good to be here, my name is Chad Myers, I'm our adult discipleship director, a lot of people in the room, and I know some of you are joining us online as well, welcome to you, Uh, God has something special for each of us, no matter where we are tuning in today, we have had, uh, well, this morning, it feels like fall, doesn't it, doesn't it feel like fall, that's why I got my $3 cardigan on. That's right, you heard me right, that's a little gap clearance shopping, you know, bargain shopper, and uh, some of you dressing for fall, we've had a beautiful October, October is almost at an end, we got Halloween tomorrow, so that means today, in the history of the church, is Reformation Sunday, and it's a time when we remember uh, Martin Luther took the 95 Thesis and nailed them to the door of the church in, in Wittenberg and just said, hey, we've gotta make some changes, the church has to reform. And uh, in light of that, and we're continuing our series on simple prayers, I wanted to read a quote from Martin Luther. And he said this To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. And uh, today we're grateful for those who have gone before us, who have stood up for what they thought needed reformed, and we're thankful for good scholarship to help us walk in truth and walk in the ways of God. Um, I would like to, in honor of Reformation Sunday, maybe bring a little reform here in this room. Can we do that? Yeah, somebody said yes, and you don't even know what I'm gonna say yet, so you you should say, well, tell us what we're gonna talk about. Uh, But I need to know something first before we do some reform, okay? I need to know this, it's very important. I need you to tune in right here, tune in. It's very important. There's a lot of candy going around these days, right? And I need to know something from you. Candy corn or candy pumpkins? It's a big deal, all right? Raise your hand if you're candy corn. All right, raise your hand if you're candy pumpkins. No, we need to reform the candy pumpkins. Those are, ooh, those are, they're yuck. They're not num-num cookies. Like, no, like, we, we gotta reform those things. Raise your hand if you're, like, both. Yeah, the both people actually do raise both hands. They did that at nine o'clock, too. Raise your hand if you're neither. I'm with you, I'm totally with you, like neither. I mean, here's the thing, those things are corn and wax. So if you take a corn cob and a candle and you bite them, that's what you get, candy corn and candy pumpkins. Let's reform those things, all right? Okay, Uh, today we continue, you're like, what does that have to do with anything? It's a very important point, I needed to find out from you. Uh, Today we continue our series series. Simple prayers, and last week we had a prayer and healing service, and Pastor Jeff set us up with a simple prayer, heal me, heal me. And today I'd like to introduce a different simple prayer. We'll be in Psalm 139, at the very end of Psalm 139. When I was younger, growing up, I had chores, chores. Daily chores and Saturday chores. Anybody have daily chores and Saturday chores? Yeah, it was just kind of normal. Some people know, you you, you were fortunate. But I had daily chores, Saturday chores. uh, And it was like, you know, empty the dishwasher and clean up after the dog and take out the trash. And I was fine with all that. On Saturdays, though, it was like, you have to do your chores before you can actually go outside and play with your friends. Anyone have that stipulation? Like, you gotta do your chores before anything else happens. Started to feel like there were like, walls with bars on the windows around our house you know hey if you don't do your chores you can't have free time out in the yard you know and if you if you don't do that you're going to go have some solitary in your room we'll send you some bread and water so I was fine with most of the chores mowing the lawn emptying the dishwasher whatever but one Saturday I woke up and it was the arch nemesis of my chores and is the one that I just could not do and it was clean your room Clean your room. Worst three words in the English language. I was like, I'm no good at cleaning my room. I hate cleaning my room. My room was decently a mess most of the time. But sure enough, I had to clean my room before I could go out and play with my friends. And it was a beautiful Saturday morning. Like the sun was out. We were going to play some sports, ride some bikes, have a great time. So I went into my room and I was like, all right, this thing's a mess. There's clothes everywhere, there's sports gear everywhere, there's some trash in it. I, I was never a food in my room type of person, so thankfully that wasn't there. Um, okay, I, was, I almost went on a tangent, stopped myself. Okay, so my room is a mess, so I'm like, okay, gotta do this. So I grabbed it as fast as I could and I cleaned up my whole room. Do you know what I did with it? Put it in the closet. Yeah, that's not, that's not a new trick, kids. That's not a new trick. That's been happening for a long time. So I took everything I had. And I shoved it in my closet. No lie, I had to use some serious effort to shut my closet door. Stuff was piled up about yay high. And I was like, my room looks fantastic. So, hey, Dad, I'm done cleaning my room. And I'm going to go out and play with my friends now. He's like, that's fine. Just let me go check it real quick. Slow down, Magnum PI. You don't need to go in there and check out the room. Just trust me, it's clean. And so some of you under 40 had to Google that. And uh, so, you, you know, he comes in the room and he opens the door and he looks at the room and it looks really good. And he's like, well, let me check your closet. <laughs> so sure enough, he opens the closet and there's just stuff shoved everywhere. Everything I could put in there, I just shoved in there and it filled up all the corners about two, three feet high. And he said, look, I love you, but you've got to, you got to clean your closet." You got to clean out your closet. So sure enough, before I could go out and play with my friends, I had to undo everything I had done, take out the mess, take out the stuff that I didn't, wanna, didn't want to put up. I had to take all the clothes, dirty clothes, fold the clean ones, put them up, and I had to clean out my closet. And that often becomes a picture for the lives that we live, the lives that we consciously often choose. That often becomes a picture of the ways of our heart we like, look, it's clean, just check it out, it looks really, really good. And maybe at first glance, like, oh yeah, that looks really good. But then, maybe God says to us, but what about the closet? And we say, oh no, not the closet. And if you're anything like me, there's things in there, maybe there's things that are just too painful to talk about, there's things that are too hard to face. There's things that maybe we've said or we've done, or maybe we have this tendency and we just keep have this recurring pattern, and we wanna put that in the closet. And we wanna say, let's just put that thing away. I have no idea what to do with it, but look how clean our room is. And today, our prayer is going to address just that. It's going to go in the corridors of our hearts and even the closet. So it's a simple prayer that we study today, it's a simple prayer, but it's not a simplistic prayer. It's a simple prayer, but it's not a shallow prayer. It's a simple prayer, but it's not a shortcut prayer. It's a simple prayer, and you might even say it's a little bit of a scary prayer. Brene Brown, the great shame researcher, said that after she had done thousands of hours of research on the human heart and people and behavior and emotions and interviewed hundreds upon hundreds of people. There were several conclusions that she came to and one of them was this. Very few people can handle being held accountable. There are very few people who can handle being held accountable. It is a very difficult thing when someone says, well, let's go ahead and open up the closet. What's going on there? And so today you could say maybe a prayer of accountability. And I would say this, without accountability, we won't have spiritual maturity. Without accountability, without some form of accountability in our lives, we won't have spiritual maturity. So we got two verses, one prayer, a simple prayer, but a lot of implications of this simple prayer. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says this. Search me, everybody say that with me. Search me. Say, "Search me, O God." Say, "Search me, O God, and know my heart." Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting." There's only one petition in all of Psalm 139. There's 24 verses and there's only one petition, and it comes at the very end of verse 23 and 24, where David says this, search me. Go ahead, search me, oh God. So what I wanna do is just take these two verses, several words, and kinda unpack them, and I wanna make four observations about what kind of prayer this is. It is a simple prayer, but there's a lot of things going on in it. It's easy to pray, but There's a lot of implications, as we're going to see today. So search me, O God, and know my heart is first and foremost an intimate prayer. This is an intimate prayer. Search me, God. You search me. And know what? Know things about me? Know my descriptors on my social media? Like what I'm enthusiastic about, like I'm a dad, a cyclist, a cook, an athlete, a mom, a single mom, whatever it is, like know about me? No, search me and know the depths of my being. Search me and know my heart. Now the heart in the scriptures was the center of a person's being. It was the center of a person's being. So from the heart would flow thoughts and desires, and affections, and emotions, and so when the text says, you know, hey, search my heart, it's saying, go to the core of who I am, that's why the Proverbs and the Psalms talk a lot about the the human heart, so in the Proverbs it says, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life, like from a human heart flow the wellspring of life, your life and vitality flows from your heart, so watch over it, so guard it, and David knew that, and he says, search me and know the depths of who I am, test me and know my anxious thoughts. It also can be translated, know my cares, my burdens. Oftentimes the things that burden us the most are secrets. That don't even have to be sin, it's just secret. It's just things that we carry. It's just so heavy for us. The death of a loved one, what that was like, trying to process that, trying to speak it out loud, what we had hoped for for our lives and how it's not panning out. The loss of something significant that's going on, and it's a secret that we carry. And the, because it's a secret, it weighs us down. It's a care. It's a burden. And David says, I want you to search me. No secrets, God. I want us to be in a close, intimate relationship. And this is the truth about God. And this is the truth about the whole of Christianity. It's always about relationship. It's always personal. It's always personal. God is a personal being, and he wants a personal relationship with people. He loves people. He wants to grow in relationship, and he wants to grow in intimacy. Um, sometimes I do marriage counseling, and one of the sessions that I do with people is, you might think it's quite simple, but I often find that um, people struggle to articulate how to do it, and maybe even to do it. I ask them, like, how do you build intimacy? Intimacy. And no, not that kind of intimacy, that was a, that's a different session. So let me put a qualifier on it. How do you build emotional intimacy? I know some of you need to know which where I'm going with this thing. How do you build emotional intimacy with each other? And sometimes they look confused, like, I don't know how to do this, how do you do it? And they usually say, well, there's two ways to do this. You need shared experiences and you need shared communication. And when I start to talk about shared communication, they kind of get this look in their eyes like, wait a second, we have to talk? And and I'm like, yeah, you do have to talk and you have to listen. And they're like, wait a second, we have to talk about deeper things? And I said, that's exactly right. And they're like, well, how do you talk about your heart? And so I'll give them some prompts. And I'm like, well, maybe you can start by talking about um, some of your insecurities or some of your dreams, some of your fears, some of your hopes, like talk about things that you long for, talk about things that make you sad or that make you angry, talk about your, you know, what you see your life becoming in the future, talk about your past like, what was it like for you as a kid growing up in your house? Like, tell me about that. And it works by disclosing. And the more you disclose of your heart and the more that person hears and owns and they disclose also, they, that's how you build emotional intimacy with somebody. And there's a similar principle in the scriptures is how do we build emotional intimacy with God? It's through prayer. Prayers often you've been told it's a conversation. We talk and we listen. God speaks, we listen, we talk, he listens. It's a conversation. But we build intimacy with God by disclosing things. It's similar to building intimacy with another person. We disclose things. We say things out loud that maybe we didn't want to say or that were previously hidden from us that have come to light. And now we say those things in a conversation in prayer to God. And God is a personal God and he's big enough to take it. He wants to know our hearts. Friends, he already knows it before we say it. So it doesn't surprise him. That's a comforting thing. God is not shocked by what we say to him in prayer. He already knows. So he's able to take it. And the thing that I think is very important for us to say about what David is praying is that he had a covenantal confidence in the love of God. He was confident that he was in a covenant that was initiated by God, that nothing could that he could do put him inside of this covenant, and nothing that he could do could take him outside of this covenant. So he was secure on the ground of grace that he stood on and that gave him freedom to say, go ahead and search me because anything I can put before you, I'm already on the grounds of grace. I'm already held in your grip I'm already secure in your love, so it's not going to surprise you. You're not going to condemn me. You're not going to shame me. Go ahead and search me. Now, some people have very sensitive consciences. And it's very difficult to say this prayer because you're already like, yeah, if I say search me, then he's just gonna like tell me exactly where I'm failing and give me the laundry list and read me the rights of how I'm screwing up and how, what a terrible Christian I am, what a terrible person I am, and you can't even get the prayer. No, that's not it. That's not, that's not the goal of this prayer. And some people are not oversensitive, but maybe they're insensitive. Uh, yeah, God, give it your best shot. Go ahead and search me. See what you find. It's pretty good down there. All right. God wants to search us so that we might grow in our connection to him. This is also an intimate prayer because, listen, he says, search me, not search them. It's not, hey, God, look at the mess going on, you know, in our neighborhood, in our community, in our state, in our world. It's like, look at all that. God, search them. God, you got to fix that. God, you got to get them. No, 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 no. It's the mirror before the window. God, search me. I have things that I need healing in my life so and a healthy preoccupation with my own growth before I'm concerned about others. It's an intimate prayer. It's also an intervening prayer. It's an intervening prayer. It's a prayer that seeks to prevent something. Look at verse 24. See if there is any offensive way. It also could be translated any grievous way. If there's anything that grieves you, God, see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The goal of this prayer is to, uh, for God to reveal stuff in our lives that may be taking seed form in our hearts, or maybe it's already sprouted, or maybe it's lying dormant, and for God to reveal that to us so that two months, two years, 10 years down the road, we don't find ourselves in a place that we don't want to be. It's for God to give us a warning sign. God put some signposts up of things that are going on in my life right now and help me pay attention to them. Give, us, give me the warning signs. Our, the social sciences have said that there are three criteria Three criteria for people paying attention to a warning sign. So if you see a warning sign like, hey, it's thin ice, like don't step on it, it's thin ice, or you're going down a steep mountain hill and it's, um, you know, use low gear, don't go over this mile per hour, and don't take any of these curves at more than 35 miles an hour. It's a dangerous curve, right? These are warning signs. Well, um, the social sciences have said there are three criteria for actually seeing and doing the warning signs. Here they are. First... You have to have a general knowledge of how the world works. So if you see a sign that says, dangerous curve ahead, speed limit, 35 miles an hour, you have to have, you know, maybe a driver's license. Maybe you understand that what a dangerous curve is. You understand if you take it more than 35, that that could be a problem. The second thing, second criteria you have to have is a set of beliefs and expectations based on experience. You know, maybe you've taken a corner too fast and you've slid a little bit and ooh, that's not good. You know, Or you've seen somebody take it too fast. But you have felt real life experience for, yeah, I know why that sign's there. It says, you know, 35, that's a good reason. But the third one, and here's the most important one, you have to enter the situation with a goal and a strategy for achieving that goal. You have to enter the situation with a goal and a strategy for achieving that goal. This is where cost analysis comes into play. So yeah, I'm on the road, yeah, I see the sign, it says 35 miles an hour, dangerous curve ahead, but here's the deal, I'm late for work. So you're gonna have to do a cost cost benefit analysis on what is it worth or we're late to grandmas and we don't wanna be late to grandmas for Thanksgiving and we still gotta go over the river and through the woods right, or was that Christmas, one of those two, um, but we, we have got to get there on time, so you are evaluating the cost-benefit, and you will make a decision based on what type of person you were and experience you have coming into the situation. Here's the reality. This prayer is this. It's not simply search me, O oh God, and know my heart, and reveal to me any offensive way in me. It's this. Give me the warning signs and make me the kind of person who wants to follow them. Because you and I both know we can see warning signs all day. But if we have a different goal in mind, then we may choose not to listen to them. And I'm a firm believer that God gives us a lot of different warning signs when we are headed towards a path of self-destruction. This is an intervening prayer. Have I ever told you about uh, the time that I had to break up a fight? I'm about to. So I had to break up a grown man fight. I was at a, sporting, a kid's sporting event, and there were two grown men. Like one was a grown man, and the other was a grown, grown man. You know what I'm saying? Like he was like nine foot tall, 350 pounds, and this guy, he was, like, really tall also, and he's the kind of guy that goes to the gym and just does calf raises. Like, those things were tree trunks. I was like, they were, There's a grown man and a grown, grown man, right? So we're sitting on the bleachers, and the game's about to start, and I don't know what happened. The grown, grown man's kids, like, threw a ball or something, and it accidentally hit this person, and this person got real, this, this grown man got really upset about it, and all of a sudden, they lock eyes. And I'm, like, watching the whole thing go down, and I'm like, oh, no, they locked eyes. Like, it's, it's getting tense. Like it's about to escalate and all of a sudden, like they start to talk to each other and it escalates and they're talking to each other and this, that, and the other, and why don't you do this? And the grown, grown man stands up and he stands up and he does like that fighting circle thing. You know what I mean? It's like this. It's kind of like a dance, but every once in a while, like, it's like that. It's like that. And he had the look in his eyes. You know the look I'm talking about. So I assess the situation and I'm like, this is about to go down. So, being the kind of person I am, like, I'm like, oh, everything else is my business. Like, my business is my business, but your business is my business, too. You know what I'm saying? So, I'm like, I got to prevent this fight. So, I stand up, and I walk over, not to the grown man with tree trunk calves, I I walk over to the grown, grown man, and I put my hand on his shoulder, and I just say to him very calmly, you don't want to do this. You need to let this go. You need to sit down. This is not a good idea this is not a good idea, you don't wanna do this, you need to let this go, you need to sit down. So, a few minutes later, what felt like a long time later, I kinda of back off, I sit down, they actually sit down. And I was like, okay, crisis averted, that was, that, was, that was great. All of a sudden, they lock eyes again. And I'm like, guys! And then they start to talk again. And then grown, grown man stands up again. And he starts to circle again. And I'm like, ah, here we are again. But all of a sudden, This other guy says this. He stands up and he says, you know what? I'm gonna go outside and teach you a lesson. So they both head for the door. My wife is sitting next to me and I hand her my glasses and she grabs me by the shirt and she says, Chadrick, sit down. That's what she calls me when I'm in trouble. That's actually my real name. Chadrick, sit down. And I say, blessed are the peacemakers. So I go ahead. Can't beat scripture. So I'm tracking with these guys and they're hoofing it towards the doors and I go and they stop right before the doors and they are in each other's face and I get right in between them and I put my hand on the grown, grown man and I say, Hey, this is not what you want. The police are about to be called and this is not a good thing for you or for your family or for anyone else. You need to let it go. You need to go back in and you need to sit down. This is not actually what you want. Stood there about 45 seconds, felt like 45 minutes. All of a sudden, they both turned in. They both walked in. And they both sat down. In fact, one guy just grabbed his chair and moved all the way across, and they never spoke to each other again that night. Now, my wife was like equally angry and equally proud of me. She was like, I'm really mad at you and good job. Good job, I'm really proud of you. This prayer is God putting his hand on our shoulder and saying, this is not who you are. This is not what you want. This is not good for you in the long run. You need to sit down. You need to go back. You need to turn around. It's not who you are. This is actually not what you want. And the reality is this, I believe God gives us, if we're willing to listen, multiple times of intervening on our behalf and saying, sit down, turn around, it's not who you are, it's not what you want. The question is, will we listen to him? And the reality is this, we can choose to turn around at any time. Because the Bible says that Sin has been crucified, and we are no longer under its dominion. It doesn't have reign over us. It still has power, but it doesn't have dominion over us. So by the power of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, we can choose to turn around at any point in time. Some of us are beginning down a road, and we're aware of it, and this morning, God is putting his hand on your shoulder and he's saying, turn around, it's not who you are, it's not what you want. Maybe some of us here are pretty far down a road, and God is putting his hand on your shoulder because he never gives up on us, and he says, it's not who you are, it's not what you want, there's always time to turn around. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is an intervening prayer. This is an illuminating prayer. It's an illuminating prayer. Shines the light on it, flips the light on. So I said there was only one request or one petition in the whole of Psalm 139, but the theme of search me, O God, actually shows up in the very beginning. So let's read verses one through six. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, You, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. God, you know a thought before I think it. You know a word before I say it. You know an action before I take it. You know me. Theologically, this is known as God's omniscience. He is all-knowing. He knows everything, past, present, and future. He knows things inside of our hearts and minds that we don't even know. This is God's knowledge and God's knowledge is light. Around this time of year, uh, people often like to watch a lot of horror movies During this season and often the horror movies play on fears and they play on fears uh, based on what's in the dark or things you can't see or things you don't know about and they exaggerate that and um, then they, they, they get you because you have no idea what's in the dark and it plays on your fear and the only way that you alleviate your fears is you turn on the light. Right? You flip on the light, you flip on the closet light, you take a nightlight, you flip it on, you shine a flashlight on it, and oh, okay, well, I heard a bump in the night, I was scared, but now I shine the light on it, and now I see that it's nothing, uh, hopefully, or you're really scared. Now I see that it's nothing, and I'm, I'm okay now, I feel better, right? It's a light. And God's knowledge of us is a light that continually shines. And the question is not whether his light shines or not, but it's whether we're going to come into it and allow the light to search our hearts. It's whether or not we're going to come out of the dark, and we sang this song just a few minutes ago, the enemy thought he had me, and the enemy loves the darkness. The enemy loves to keep things in the dark where they're not disclosed to ourselves or to someone else, to God, because in the dark, guess what grows there? Fear, guilt, shame, self-condemnation, isolation. And when we have things in the dark that remain in the dark, the enemy has a stronghold over that part of our heart. It's like he's barred the closet door, or the door of our heart, and he's locked it and is hey, hey, you stay in the dark there. And this prayer is a prayer of illumination. Shine your light on anything that's hiding in my heart. Now, why does David say at the beginning of this psalm, you have searched me and you know me, and then at the end, he asks for God to search him and know him? Like, you search me and you know, you know everything about me. So why at the end does he say, but I I need you to know everything about me, like search me and know me? It's this reason. We pray this prayer not for God to know us, but for us to know us. We pray this prayer not for God to know us, but for us to know us. God already knows everything about us. The, the, the challenge is we don't know everything about us, and our knowledge of ourself hasn't intersected with God's knowledge of us. And so we can't grow. Sometimes we feel like we've been a Christian for such a long time and we've been going through the same old motions and we go to church and we read the Bible and we read the, the devotional and we listen to the music and we just seem like, man, I'm just the same person as I was 15 years ago. The same old anger, the same old frustration, the same old impatience and the same old sins. We never seem to be getting any traction. Maybe the reason is not because God doesn't know everything about us. It's because we haven't asked his light to shine on us in such a way that we understand who we are. And David wants a spiritual jumpstart. And a spiritual jumpstart is at the intersection of spirit awareness and self-awareness. It's at the intersection of spirit awareness and self-awareness. I believe there's actually a sophisticated psychology in the scriptures. That when these people, inspired by God, wrote the text, it's not that they had contemporary language that we would use today, But they also had a sophisticated understanding of human nature and who we were and what we're up to and what we need to live a full, abundant life. In fact, David says this in Psalm 19, who can discern their own errors, forgive my hidden faults. Who can discern their own errors, forgive my hidden faults? What's he saying? He's saying, we got blind spots. We have a blind spot. There's things about my life that I don't even know and I can't even see. It's like you're driving a car and you can see straight in front of you and you have a good vision and then you can see out of your peripheral, but then you have mirrors. You have the rear view mirror so you can see what's behind you and you have the side mirror so you can see what's on the side of you, but you also have blind spots. You There are things about us that we do not know unless we get the Father's feedback. so that it can move in either into sight of our mirrors or our peripheral, hopefully into our main vision. And we can grow into awareness of what's going on inside of us. And you may say, well, what's the big deal about awareness? Well, somebody once said, if we are aware of it, we can control it. If we are unaware of it, it controls us. I think that's true. If we're aware of it, we can control it. If we're unaware of it, it controls us. This is a illuminating prayer. Lastly, this is an introductory prayer. This is an introductory prayer. You say it's an introductory prayer. Well, what is it introducing? Well, this prayer is meant to be the prelude to confession and repentance. Search me, O God, and know my heart. And as you reveal things to me, may I confess them and disclose them to you, and may I be the kind of person who pays attention to the warning signs that you give. Someone once said that confession is the best, worst feeling ever. It's like the best, worst feeling ever. Like you hate it, like you almost want to vomit, like, oh, I've got to share this with somebody. But when you do it, and as you do it, you're like, wow, I feel so light now. I I just, I don't know how to say it. I feel cleansed. I feel clean. It's like the best, worst feeling ever. When we were in Missouri, uh, it snowed often during the winter, and we got this inflatable hot tub for fun. I don't recommend an inflatable hot tub because after about three uses, you get in the water, you're like, this water's absolutely disgusting, and I don't want to take the time to clean it, so I don't know what to do with this thing anymore. But nevertheless, we had one for a hot minute, and it snowed about two feet Uh, in one night uh, over the course of a day and a night in Missouri, and I'm the kind of person that I love to just go, like, put my swimsuit on and go roll in the snow and just, like, stay out there and get all cold and then jump in the hot tub. Anybody with me? Anybody travel that they've seen snow or you could imagine what snow is like? And hot tub, you think about it, right? Okay, so there's a snow, and I go out and I jump and I roll, and I love it, and I love just getting cold. And then I love the experience of getting in the hot tub because, like, then you actually get to get warm. It feels so good. But at the same time, it kind of feels bad, you know what I mean? It feels bad because you've already rolled in the snow, and all of your blood vessels have like shrunk and they're cold and less blood is flowing through them. And then when you warm up, this is why de your hands and feet out actually hurts. Uh, there's a process to it. It is called vasodilation. Huh? There's one for Scrabble. And so, you know, you jump in the hot tub and all of a sudden your blood vessels start to open back up um, because they're warm now and they're sending more blood, but it hurts. But at the same time, it feels good, but it hurts and it feels good. That's what confession is like. And sometimes we're like, well, I'm good at confession. Like I'm good at confession, personally, because I'm like, oh yeah, God, I did this, I did this, I did this, and I did that. Like I know you forgive me, I know you love me. Okay, let's track, let's go forward. But here's the thing. The Bible says we get to confess our sins to a person. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm not really good at that. Like that type of confession, No, I was good with just like, you know, me and you, but like me and somebody else, I don't know about that, but that's what James 5 says. Listen to this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. I'm gonna read it again because it's so important. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Do you have a James five person in your life? And as someone who cares about you and your spiritual health, it breaks my heart that some people do not have someone who they feel mostly safe with to say, you know what? I just need somebody to talk to about this, because this helps us get the healing that we long for. Maybe you're carrying a burden so heavy and it's weighing you down and it's hurting your health because you haven't shared it with somebody. And James says, if you share this stuff with somebody, you can trust a loved one, community of faith, brother, sister in Christ, whatever it is, someone that can hold it. If you share that with them and then they can pray for you, you get to experience a healing. It comes over you. This is what happened last week. A lot of what happened last week, people kneeled at prayer stations, some confessed sins and some disclosed secrets. And guess what? They got to experience the forgiveness of God and then they walked a little bit lighter as they left. And they experienced healing because it was no longer just theirs to carry alone. Unconfessed sin keeps us from experiencing God's forgiveness and freedom. And undisclosed secrets keep us from being known and loved. And we were made to be known and loved and delighted in. Do you have a James 5 person? If not, I encourage us to pray for one. Search me, O God, and know my heart. And you may say, well, how does God answer? How do we know when God has searched us and he's revealing these things to us? And I would say he reveals it just a few ways. He reveals it through scripture you may be coming here a sermon or you go to a Bible study or you do your own personal reading reread read Scripture. Scripture reads us. He reveals it through the community of faith, through friends, through someone who dares to risk vulnerability and say, hey, I'm not coming from a place of judgment here. I'm only asking this because I care, but I would love to talk with you. He speaks through his Holy Spirit. Spirit leads us, guides us, experiences, impressions. He speaks through his Holy Spirit. He speaks through his world. And David is saying, God's going to answer us. I'm confident of that. But God, search me, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. May I be the kind of person that when you reveal these things to me, may I want to walk in the way that you've laid out in front of me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for Psalm 139. Thank you for your text. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. There may be some here today that because of their story, it's hard to even pray this prayer because they just feel so condemned already. I pray for healing. I pray that they would experience the strong and faithful love of Jesus. There may be some here today that are on a path and now maybe they're aware of it and they need your strength and courage to turn around because it's not who they are and it's not who they want to be. There may be some here today and they just don't know what's going on inside of them or why they do what they do and why they are the way they are and their prayer is the simple prayer, search me. Search us all, oh God. We are saints and sinners, glorious ruins, precious and dearly loved by you. You're big enough to hold us and to heal us. We pray these things in Christ's name, Amen.